you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to get it out. We operate a BYOB policy. Not bring your own booze, that wouldn't be appropriate. But bring your own Bible. Uh, if you haven't brought one because you've forgotten or you're so dependent on the words on the screen, they'll be on there. We'll come to that in a moment. But before we do that, I just wanted to draw your attention to a very important event. In approximately 74 sleeps, not including naps, guess what's coming? Christmas. 74 sleeps, not that I'm counting. And we all have naps on Sunday afternoon. But I like Christmas. Now, it's not so much Christmas when it arrives. Because I do find, after I've had my dinner, and it's the afternoon, I've opened up my presents. I'm a bit like, ugh. Anybody else like that? And Boxing Day is just the biggest anticlimax ever. Boxing Day is rubbish. Christmas is gone. I've got to wait another 365 days till next year. But what I like most about Christmas is the kind of tacky Christmas lights that start coming on. You know what I'm talking about? We used to have neighbours back when I was a kid who had an inflatable Homer Simpson with a Santa hat. I thought that was amazing. Um, that's, that's just Christmas for me. The tacky Christmas lights, I love them. I love that in every shop you go into, you hear Slade. Chris loves it too, fantastic. I love that I can go into one stop and buy turkey and cranberry sandwiches. No, just me. I love the Coca-Cola advert. The Coca-Cola truck actually comes to Chesterfield as well. It came last year. I was really disappointed because I thought they'd give out free Coke. They're never going to do that, were they? But it's the build-up that's exciting. If you don't like Christmas and you're a bit of a Scrooge, maybe think about your birthday. If you're a kid, you'd be excited about your birthday. As you get older, you get less excited about birthdays. Maybe anniversaries. There might be other things. A special holiday. You know, um, I don't, this is a few years ago now. There was a Disney advert. And it was the night before they traveled. And mum and dad went into the kids. It's like, what are you doing? You're asleep. We're going on holiday tomorrow. And they said, we can't sleep. We're too excited. And then it cut to the parents. And the parents were like, we can't sleep. We're too excited. When something special is happening, you're excited. There's a build-up. You're longing. You're looking forward to it. With that in mind today, I want you to think about the passage we're about to look at. The people of God, all through the Old Testament, have been waiting. They've been longing for a new day. You see, in the Old Testament, there was prophecies given. One day, I will pour out my spirit upon you. One day, there will be something new. And they've been waiting. They've been reading the scriptures. They've been puzzling over them. I don't understand. When is this happening? We're waiting. Pentecost happens, which we looked at last week with Carl. And then Peter, the Apostle Peter, the one who's denied Jesus, this kind of bolshy fella who has got it wrong so many times, stands up and preaches. And to spoil the ending, 3,000 people are added to the number of Christians. Isn't that amazing? 3,000 people. Don't you long for 3,000 people in Chesterfield to come to know Jesus? And that's not even scratching the surface of a town of over 100,000 people. So Peter gets up and says, you know what you've been waiting for? It's now. What's happened is the disciples have kind of spilled out from the upper room and they've been speaking in other tongues and it's been really confusing for everybody. Everyone's been hearing people praise God in different languages and Peter says, here it is. Now is the time. So I want, I want to read that together. It's Acts chapter 2. I had to buy a larger print Bible for two reasons. One, so I could read it, and two, so I wouldn't need to wear my glasses. 
and you're trying to think, well, he, he doesn't look cool anyway because he's wearing shorts. Why are you wearing shorts in winter? My question to you is, why not wear shorts? That's my response. Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 14. It says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a fantastic passage, and it's the beginning of this really lengthy sermon. It's the first sermon, really, ever. So if you don't like sermons, you can blame Peter. This is the first one. And he's getting up to give this first sermon. And he starts it in the most peculiar way. I kind of wish that every sermon would start in the way that Peter starts his, in one sense. He says, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. You see, the cynics in the crowd are saying, these 120 people that have spilled out of the upper room are drunk. They're probably a bit rowdy. It's a bit confusing. You know, you can tell someone that who's drunk sometimes because, you know, they say, I love you. But also, they look a bit confused. It can be confusing trying to understand what they're saying. And for the cynics in the crowd, what happened at Pentecost might have been a bit confusing. They're not really understanding what's going on. So they're saying they're drunk. Well, a room has filled with a sound like a rushing wind, and tongues like fire have appeared over the disciples. And as they spill out into the street, the people hear them praising God in their own languages. If you read Acts chapter 2, you see that pretty much there's a huge list of places all over the world. There's Egyptians there, there's Arabs there. They're all there, and yet they hear these 120 people praising God in their own tongue. It's a little bit like me speaking now, and if you were French, you're hearing what I'm saying in French, or I'm speaking in French, but speaking in English at the same time. Or if you're German, you're hearing it in German. A bit confusing, it would seem. Something's going on, and the cynics are saying they're drunk. But Peter says, no, it's not possible that we're drunk. It's nine in the morning. The off-license isn't open. We haven't touched the stuff. Something more significant is going on. It always makes me reflect, why does Peter say, oh, we're not drunk as you suppose? Is it that the Christians were happy? I don't know. Were they joyful? Perhaps. Just something to think about. I don't know. But it's all kicking off. People think you're drunk. Can you imagine? You're Peter, you're stood, everyone's saying, what is going on? All these people are drunk, let's ignore them. And Peter stands up. What would you do? What do you think your first words would be? I tell you, if it was me, I wouldn't quote the Old Testament at them. Neither would my daughter. 
But that's exactly what he does. He goes to the Old Testament and says, no, you're wrong. This is what it's about. He says this, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He takes a prophecy which is from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament and says, what Joel was speaking of here is happening now. Now, this word pour out is important. Okay, It talks about there's a prophecy that's been given and it starts. It's not fully fulfilled, but it's in part fulfilled. He says, in the last days, he's saying a new age has come. From the point of Pentecost, a new time in all of history has started. It was the beginning of the church, but it's a new time for us too. Theologians call it the age of the spirit. In that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh as we read here. Now, the word pour out is not some lame drip from a bottle of wine. I was thinking this with grace. You know, we all have these noises that we hate, don't we? You might have a few of these. And the glug, glug, glug as you pour something into a glass is one of my top five worst noises. Along with kind of fingers on a a whiteboard and babies crying. That's only three, I know. I can't think of what the other two are right now. But it's a horrible noise. But it's not like that. It's not just a, a soft pouring out. The word is more like a torrential downpour. Now, I've started gardening recently. It's not taken me long to have a gardening illustration. It's nice I can see Paul here, also gardens, and is my boss, I suppose. It's nice to see you. It's not like a little bit getting wet. Now, who on Wednesday lives in Chesterfield? Wednesday for me, I've been told it wasn't that wet on Wednesday, but for me, it, it was very wet. It was so wet that my coat I was wearing and my waterproof trousers I might as well have gone swimming, okay? When it says pour out, that's the, kind of, that's the kind of word we're looking at here. Extensive, huge. I will pour out my spirit. It's not this little, ta- little drip from heaven. This is something significant. Not just a little bit of rain, but absolutely getting soaking wet. It's the kind of rain that you couldn't miss. The pouring out of the Spirit is the kind of thing we shouldn't miss. It's the game changer. You see, in the Old Testament, if you read through it, God speaks to people at certain times with certain purposes. So Daniel was given a certain task and was enabled by God the Holy Spirit to perform it. And he prophesied and said the word of the Lord. And Isaiah does the same. And as you read through the Old Testament, at certain times with certain people for certain occasions, God the Holy Spirit equips and enables the people of God to do his work. But at Pentecost, it changes. And he says, I will pour out my spirit upon who? What does it say? It says, all flesh. It's no longer just individuals, but all people. It says, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. So just to cover what all flesh means, upon sons and daughters. So whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you don't know, it applies to you. Young men shall see visions. Old men shall dream dreams. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are. They're not criteria for not receiving God the Holy Spirit. But also, it says, on my male servants and female servants, he says, status is irrelevant. It's not just the high-powered people to whom God the Holy Spirit is going to come. You might be sat here this morning thinking, I feel inadequate for God to pour out his Spirit upon me. But don't we all, in one sense? 
it's not just for high flyers, not just for leaders, not just for the wise of this world. But God is moving in a new way and wants to speak to all of us. That's what Peter is saying. God is pouring out his spirit and he wants to speak to each of us. And he says it's taking place now. And as you read through the prophecy from verse 19, it speaks of wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. The sun turning to darkness, the moon turning to blood. And then says, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So what Peter is saying there is this age of the spirit, this pouring out of the spirit will continue until the moon turns to blood, until the sun goes dark. And it's apocalyptic language because it's followed with before the day of the Lord. And in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is when is the day of justice, the day of vengeance. It's the day when Jesus will return. The second coming. So what Peter's saying is the Holy Spirit is being poured out upon you and upon me because we're all flesh from this day until the day Jesus comes back. Jesus hasn't returned yet, has he? So what does that mean for you and me? That means the Holy Spirit can be poured out upon you and I. It's not just something that was exclusive for back when Peter spoke, but it applies to us today. So what, according to Peter, using Joel's prophecy, are we seeing are the marks of the Spirit? It's really interesting that basically it's about God speaking to his people. He says, sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men shall dream dreams. If you go through the Bible, visions, dreams, prophecies are all different forms of communication. And all in the Bible, they're methods of communication that God uses to speak to his people. So he's saying the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you and God will speak to you. God will show you something. Now, these dreams, these visions, these prophecies are miraculous and supernatural. But I don't know about you, before we get into the kind of detail of it, I want to hear from God. Don't you want to hear from God? Hear what he's saying, see how he's guiding, see what he's showing. You know, we wouldn't be here today if we hadn't heard from God. If God hadn't have pointed and said, go and do this. Now, I'm not saying I've got a loud voice that said, Don, go and do this. God always has a deep voice. But you just get a sense of God's leading. I'm keen for God to speak today. Now, if God chooses to give dreams to people, if God chooses to give visions to people, then that's great. Now, what a dream is, I hope you know what a dream is. It's fairly obvious, isn't it? And also what a vision is, it's quite obvious. But prophecy... We might not understand quite what prophecy is. So we will, as we go through Acts, kind of explain it because it brings it out. Um, but in one line, I just want to say that it's not predicting the future. A lot of the time people think, oh, prophecy is about predicting the future of what's going to happen. And, you know, you come across these people often in America that say on this day, Jesus will return and he never does. Or they say X or Y. I remember a few years ago. And it can act as more of a curse than a blessing. I was at a conference and I was being prayed for, uh, which was lovely. And this guy just came up to me and said, I've got a word from the Lord for you. And I thought, oh, here we go. What's he going to say? And he said, on the 21st of May, 2010, God will do something amazing. And I was like, wow, that sounds good. And this was like, this was in March. So it was a couple of months away. Time for me to forget. But for a while I was thinking, oh, great, great. Guess what happened on the 21st of May? Well, 
just normal day, really. <laughs> There's nothing spectacular about it. If someone comes up to you and says, I've got a word from the Lord that X or Y is going to happen on this day or something set in the future, take it with a pinch of salt. Because actually it can be more of a curse than it can be a blessing. A prophecy is best described as telling something that God spontaneously has brought to mind. I want to give you a little bit of example from my own kind of walk that will just help you give you an idea. We're not going to go into the kind of minutia of it, but just give you an idea. I was praying for a girl when I was at university, so this is a while ago now, maybe nine, ten years ago. It's aging me slightly. And as I was praying for her, this really weird image just filled my mind of a boat. And I thought, I have no idea why I'm suddenly thinking of boats and all things at the sea, because I don't like that kind of thing. My experiences of fishing were my dad throwing up off the side of a boat. Not fun. So this boat image just flashed into my mind, and I thought, I don't really know what's going on. And then I felt, almost as a word in my mind said, you need to tell this girl that I want her in his majesty's service. I want her to be serving me. So you know the whole HMS thing, which is for our Navy? Well, it was his majesty's service, and I thought, hold on, I can't do this, God, what are you talking about? So I kind of prayed about it for a little bit, chatted with someone else about it, just kind of got it way, and I said, well, you know, just, just share it with them. So as I shared it with this girl, as I was praying, she just stopped and stared at me, and I thought, oh no, what have I done? And she looked utterly shocked. I thought, well, I was hoping for a bit of joy, I was hoping that it would make her happy, but she looked shocked and surprised at what I'd said. Anyway, it turns out, completely unknown to me, now I knew the girl, but I didn't know this about her, that she was praying and seeking and asking God whether God would like her to go and serve with Operation Mobilization. Operation Mobilization are a a charity where basically Christians can go on these boats and they go around the world uh, teaching and they do missionary work and telling people about Jesus. And she'd been asking privately, God, I don't know if this is the right step for me. And in that moment, she knew. And I was just blown away. I had no idea. But that's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's pretty great that God would step in with a prophetic word. Now, just like tongues last week, prophecy is a gift from God. And it's not a given for any of us. Some have one gift, some have another. Some of us have the gift of hospitality. Others of us don't. There's a whole list of spiritual gifts given in Scripture. But of course, with these things, there are biblical guidelines for us to use it. Always, I just want you to bear this in mind, that prophecy should be used to build and encourage the church. If there's ever a word that doesn't build and encourage, it's not a prophetic word. It's not from the Lord. It should always do that. It should always point us towards Jesus. And it should always be weighed with scripture. You know, the Bible is the final word on all things. The final authority, it's completely the word of God. A prophetic word might be God speaking to me, but I'm sinful. I get things wrong. So in that process, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to have the same authority as if a word was from Scripture. You might be here thinking, well, that sounds great, but I never hear from God in that way. I wish God would speak to me. Do you ever have those moments where you're like, I'm so fed up. God never talks to me. I want to challenge you this morning and say that God's talking to us all the time. Not only does God interject in special ways, like he he did here with dreams, visions, and prophetic words, 
But they're not normative. They're not normal practice, are they? They're miraculous. They're called miracles for a reason. If miracles happened all the time, they wouldn't be called miracles. But God has spoken to us and continues to speak to us through this, his word. You know, countless times I've heard people say, God doesn't speak to me. And my challenge to you is this, are you reading what God says? This is totally, 100%, every word of it, the word of God. So if you want to hear what God is saying, you want to see what God wants for you, for your life, you need to read this book. You need to ask for God's spirit to help you to understand it. But this, the word of God, is what we need in our lives. And don't we as Christians underrate it? Don't we as Christians undervalue this? This is great treasure, and yet it just sits dusty on the side of our bed. And we say, God, I want to hear from you. Let's open our Bible more. Let's read what he says. Yes, some of it's confusing. Yes, some of it's difficult to understand, as somebody was talking to me about Leviticus this morning. But start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read about Jesus. Read about this Son of God who comes to rescue and save you and to show you the way towards everlasting life. You see, because the Holy Spirit who is poured out upon us comes ultimately to point us towards Jesus. He doesn't ultimately come to give us prophetic words or that we'd speak in tongues. He comes that we'd be pointed towards Jesus. You see, verse 21 of the prophecy says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what it's all about. That's what every church up and down our nation, every church in the world should exist for. That those, a place for those who call upon the name of the Lord. That we gather today because we're calling upon Jesus' name. We want to see him made high in our town and in our nation. And we're in the age of the spirit. We're in that in-between times called the already not yet. Already we're saved, but not yet are we with Jesus. Already we have God the Holy Spirit with us, but it's not the fullest it can be because we're not fully with God. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that. Anyone, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've been, you and I, your friends, your neighbors, your family, there's hope. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're here this morning And you don't know if you're a Christian or not. Or maybe you're definitely not a Christian. Let me just say this. Before Jesus comes back again, we have to call upon his name. We have to call upon his name. To ask for his forgiveness. If you honestly look at your own life, you will recognize that you get things wrong. That you're broken, that you mess up, that you sin. That you fall short of the immaculate standard that God has set. We're not perfect. We need redeeming. That's why we're called Redeemer King. We need redeeming by the King. We need saving. And Jesus does that by coming and dying in our place upon the cross for us. And he's raised to new life. And that's the good news for you this morning. That gives you hope that if you're a Christian, your life is transformed. And God the Holy Spirit comes and resides within you. And you go from living for yourself to living for Jesus to saying, I now exist to proclaim his worth. I now exist in work on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm not doing this work for myself, but I'm doing it for God. Amen? That was a good time to amen. You'll know the the good times and the inappropriate times. That was a good time. 
We want to see people meet Jesus, don't we? And have their lives transformed. I want to just finish with a, a little story from this week that will hopefully just challenge you a little bit and make you think about how we conduct ourselves in the world. If we're spirit-filled Christians, how that is perceived by other people. I was in Morrison's this week. Yeah, good store. It's a good store, isn't it? And I came to those automated machines. You know the ones I'm talking about? Where you don't have to go and see a person, but you can just scan it yourself. I'm pretty sure they're made in hell. I'm not even joking. They're awful. They never like me. Always get it wrong. But I got it easy on whatever day of the week it was. There was a man and a woman in front of me. And I was waiting in the queue. And you can see this guy is getting angry. His face is getting redder. He's swelling with rage. And he starts saying, why won't this barcode work? There was some choice language too. Why won't it scan? Why is this not working? I thought, oh, this is funny. I've got to stop laughing because he sees me. And he said, turns to his wife and he says, I told you, woman, we should have seen a person. I told you, woman. I've been, oh, no, what's going on? And it's all kicking off in Morrison's. Why won't this barcode scan? And he just gives up and he puts it on the scales. Never do that. The machine doesn't know the man's in a rage. And the machine chirps up with something like, please remove the item from the bagging area. And this guy loses it. Start shouting. I mean shouting. You know when everyone else in the whole store goes quiet and is staring at him? Just like that. And he gr- it was a chicken. It was a poor chicken. And he grabs the ch- I'm not joking here. He grabs the chicken. He says, why won't you work? And he launches the chicken onto the floor. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Like you, I'm laughing my head off. And he turns and just gives me a look like death. And then he just storms out of the shop and leaves his wife to pick up his chicken. And the assistant comes over and and helps them out. But in that moment, aside from laughing, I had an honest realization. That could so easily be me. I mean, okay, I might not get in a rage quite like that with a chicken, but that could so easily be me. What if that guy was a Christian? What if I knew that guy was a churchgoer and loved Jesus, but I wasn't a Christian? What message does that paint to me? What picture are we painting to the world? We have to ask that question, am I giving people Jesus or not? When people see me, are they seeing the hope that is within me or not? You see, the Spirit is poured out, not for our own selfish gain, but to make much of Jesus so that people would be brought into his kingdom, so that people would see the hope that I have within my heart. The Spirit of God comes to make us more like him. It's something that should be visible in your life. Dare I say, it should be obvious that God is at work. It should be obvious in my conduct, in the way I lead my life, the way I am at work the way I am at home, the way I am at school. Sure, we don't always get it right, but the Spirit of God comes to help us and to make us more like Jesus for a purpose that we'd see more people added to the kingdom. Last week, as Carl closed, he closed with words from Romans 12 and said, go and show humility and love and be generous and gracious. And that's what we're to do. 
So I want you to ask that question. Is the Spirit of God active in your life? And if not, why not? And we want to be open to God and say, I'm a failure. By myself, I can't do this. I can't show the worth of Jesus in my own strength. God, I need you to help me. God, I need you to show me. So we need to be longing for God to use us. Because otherwise, I think we just kind of pass through life like a cloud. Our Christian walk can just be, we're just away with the fairies. We're never real. We're never seeing change in our own life or change in the lives of others. I truly believe that we can walk on one of two paths. Even those who are Christians, we can go the wrong way, can't we? We can walk the way that God wants us to, or we can go our own way. Peter at Pentecost is saying, the long-awaited day is finally here. When God's people can now finally have God with them in the person of the Holy Spirit, it should make all the difference. It should change everything. The question that sprang to my mind when I was dwelling on that was one of control. Often we like to be the master of our own destiny, don't we? We like to have all our I's dotted and all our T's crossed. And almost as if God was saying, are you going to relinquish control of your life to me? Are you going to allow my spirit to change you? Are you going to allow me to make you an effective witness in this world? Or are you going to continue to just go your own way? We have to trust Jesus both in the good and the bad times, don't we? And that involves putting our, all our trust in him. Just for the family that have just lost a loved one today, their challenge will be putting their hope and their trust in Jesus in both the good and the bad times. You see, I believe that God wants to do so much in and through us, but often we get in the way because we want to be in control. I know I explained the very first week when we looked at Acts that really it should be called the Acts of Jesus because Jesus is in the background orchestrating everything with the boom of the early church. But it wasn't called that, was it? It was called the Acts of the Apostles. And it was called that because the apostles were filled with the Spirit and guess what they did? They acted. They were filled and they went out and did God's work. They made a difference in the world. The church started. You see, so much rides on it, doesn't it? We're here because we want to make much of Jesus. We want to proclaim his name. Because ultimately we know for the people of our town, everlasting life is riding on it. Everything is riding on it. We have a world that needs to know. And I want to encourage you this morning to say that the Spirit of God has been poured out. And will continue to be poured out upon you. But I do believe we've got to be hungry and asking God to fill us. And saying, Lord, I want more of you in my life. God, I want to relinquish control and I want to follow after you. We're involved in this process. Just as the apostles were involved in the process, they had to step out in faith. They had to trust Jesus. We have exactly the same challenge today. And each of us has a part to play. Whether you are old or young, whether you are male or female, whether you are a master or a servant, the Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. So let's just pray together. We'll pray that 
God would interject at times in special ways and speak to his people. But also that we become more and more in tune with how God is speaking to us through his word. So that we can be a useful people. And I don't know about you, but I want to see this church grow with people coming to know Jesus for the very first time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have not left us alone. You have not abandoned your people. But you gave your one and only son to make a way to the Father. And then as the son was ascended on high, you gave your spirit. And you have poured out your spirit upon all flesh. That we today could receive you in our hearts. And so Lord, in this moment, we ask for you to come. We ask for you to fill us once again. That we'd be equipped to do your work. We invite you into our hearts. We relinquish control and ask you, Lord, to show us the way. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us today. Lord, we pray you put a desire within our hearts to just eat it up, to have more of you, to hear from you daily. Lord, forgive us for when we say we don't hear from you, yet we don't pick up your word. Jesus, we ask that we'd be filled with the Spirit in order to make much of you, in order that people would be added to your kingdom. Lord, we pray for this church and pray that you would use it in a mighty way to see uh, boys and girls, men and women added to your kingdom. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.